Good morning, everyone. <clears throat> Today, I get to talk about something that I don't understand. <laughs> no, I, I do have some understanding of it, but I will be the first one to confess it exceeds my understanding. And, and we would say, well, isn't that true of everything we say of God? Yes, he's incomprehensible. But this is a subject that I find particularly difficult um, to explain. And if you come up to me afterwards with questions, which is very normal and good, I will probably say many times, I don't know, <laughs> I'm not sure, what do you think? And the subject that we are talking about today is, in particular, divine eternity. Divine eternity. <clears throat> and this is still one of the negative attributes. It's a negation, most fundamentally. When we talk about God's eternity, it is a negation. But before, uh, in order to understand what it is, what it is a negation of, uh, we need to make a few introductory comments. So, what is time? What is time? That's where we just start saying, I don't know. <laughs> it's like dividing by zero. What is time? I, I don't know. It just it becomes uh, an infinite black hole to me. But we can we can say certain things. Time is a measurement of motion. Time is a measurement of movement or motion marked by before and after. This is how we literally tell time. In order to, to tell time, we measure the consistent motion of things with a before and after. We read in Genesis chapter 1, verse 14, that God specifically, one of the reasons why he made the, the celestial spheres was so that they would have consistent patterns of motion that could be used for determining times and seasons. And so God made the world in such a way that there are things that have a, a measurable motion that we can use to determine before and after intervals, and we, we call that time. Time is a measurement of the motion of, of movable and mutable creatures. It has a before, it has an after. The, the face of my watch has hands, that move at consistent intervals and increments. If, this, if these hands stand still, I can't measure time anymore. If there's no motion, then I, there's no time. Even a computer that is keeping time, if this were a digital watch or a computer, it's still marking precise intervals as though there were something moving. So time is a measurement of motion, and we need to understand that time, therefore, is not a thing in itself. To, to use the, the language of others, time is not some big container that we're all passing through. It, it's not a thing. Time does not have a being of its own. It's simply the measurement 
of the world God created as it moves and has before and after. But time is not, as the movies would tell you, a dimension that we're passing through or something. Sorry, I know you all love and I enjoy the movie Interstellar, but it's a movie, okay? Time is, no, don't they say gravity's the other dimension? Whatever, it doesn't matter. This isn't about movies. Time, though, is not something with its own being. Time is the measurement of the motion of created things with before and after. So when you think about time, which is a succession of moments, a succession of movement before and after, you can either think about a a now, a particular moment, or you can think about time as a whole. So you can think about a now, which is going to be one, one point in the succession, or you can think about the, the whole of time. A point in time would be now, and the whole of time would be the, 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 the full collective, uh, cumulative totality of the successive, successive moment motions. I'm trying to speak carefully here. The successive motions of created things. So when we talk about time, if, we, if I say, what time is it? Then we're talking about a, a specific moment If we're talking about time more abstractly, we're talking about uh, the whole. Divine eternity is the negation of this. (laughs) We're saying this is not the way in which God exists. God is not, his being is not, a successive being of motion and before and after. So divine eternity is God without succession. Last week, uh, we talked about divine immensity, God without measure. You, you cannot uh, spatially limit or contain or exclude or include God. You cannot measure him. He is immense without measure. This is God without succession. His being is not moving in such a way that there is a before and an after in God. There's no, uh, there's no point in time for God or even a, a whole. So think about um, when we use the word eternity, there's different ways in which it can be used. So there's an eternity that has a beginning point, but no end. And, and this can be called eternity of a sort. It's also called eternity or sempiternity. We might call this everlasting. It has a beginning point, but no end. This is the kind of eternity that is created and given to certain things, such as the soul, which has a beginning point, but the soul is immortal. It doesn't die, it it ever lasts. Or when God perfects us and glorifies us, we we will have bodies with eternal life, everlasting life, that by by virtue of God's created and gifted life to us, uh, we will have eternal, eternal life, but it has a beginning point. So it's not the proper eternity of which we're speaking when we speak of God's 
eternity. And then there is a different kind of eternity that looks like this. It has neither beginning nor end, but it's still successive. This is also not God's eternity. Don't think of God's eternity as, well, eternity past and eternity future, God forever. That would be God everlasting every which way. That's not the doctrine of divine eternity because that's still attributing a successive life to God. That's still attributing God now and then God now, and then God now, as opposed to God then, and God then, and God then. The true doctrine of divine eternity is a negation of succession in the being of God. And so, as, as I was researching and studying, there is nothing with this kind of, there is no being with a, a two-way everlastingness. It always was and it always will be within a created successive existence. There is nothing with this kind of eternity. It, it is not. Because in the beginning, God created all that is. So all, all things created have this... Uh, of the things created, some have this kind of eternity. Of all which is uncreated, there is only God... And God does not have this kind of eternity. Therefore, we conclude that there is no being with this kind of eternity. It doesn't exist. It is not. God's eternity is, this is, this is improper, not in the sense of um, morally wrong, but improper meaning it's human language trying to express the truth of God. God's eternity is, is more like a circle where you have a perfect possession of of his, God's perfect possession of his own life means that he has neither now nor whole. He has it all, all at once, without any succession. There's, I mean, you could even try to mark on a circle points, couldn't you? So that's why it doesn't quite work. But God simultaneously possesses the whole of his life and his being perfectly. And simultaneously, it's an... We often, we often say, it's sometimes said that God is an everlasting now. Without succession, it's, it's always a now. He just always is. There's no before and after in God. It's just an everlasting now. And since it's an everlasting now, it's also a perfect whole. Sorry, I'm messing this up a little bit. A simultaneous, perfect, whole possession of life is this God without succession, divine eternity. And now we return to that, that name that God has revealed for himself that perfectly communicates this. What's the divine name from Exodus 3? I am that I am. The one who is, I am that I am, is all that he is in and of himself. This, therefore, brings us back, connects eternity to divine aseity. Do you remember divine aseity in our confession of faith, whose 
subsistence is in and of himself. His being, the way in which God is, is in and of himself. Therefore, he has a simultaneous, perfect, and whole possession of life. Therefore, he is God without succession. And therefore, only God has this kind of eternity. Divine eternity applies only to God because only he is I am that I am. Only he is ase, his being is in and of himself. And so as God's being is in and of himself, so his duration is in and of himself. Duration is a human perspective and human language of a transcendent reality. Uh, The duration of the life of God is eternal because his life, his being, is in and of himself. It has neither beginning nor end, nor is it successive. It's a simultaneous, perfect possession of the whole, all at once, an everlasting now. God does not inhabit uh, some kind of infinite timeline. If God inhabits an infinite timeline, he's a created thing. And whatever created the time that God is slipstreaming through forever is the actual God. This is not divine eternity. This is a created eternity. This is a human way of trying to express divine eternity, that everlasting now. So God's eternity is that beginningless and endless, infinite duration of his own life, which he has in and of himself, never beginning, never ending, ah, say, life. And we know that God is eternal for for many different reasons. Uh, Natural theology itself teaches us this, but the scriptures tell us, Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created everything. God created, therefore, time. He created beings, he created creatures that move in succession with before and after. So what we call time is a created thing. And because created things exist in time or have a measured successive being, therefore they can be later what they were not before. Because they exist in a successive way, they can become. But we've said that God who is I am that I am cannot become because he is that he is. He is pure being, pure actuality. And the scriptures tell us in multiple places that that God is eternal. Uh, For example, Psalm 90 verse 2 says, Before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting you are God. And our minds tend to go straight to this kind of thinking. From everlasting to everlasting, before the mountains, before the hills. But it's just how we have to try to think about these things. But the psalmist is expressing divine eternity in in human language. It's true. Revelation chapter 1, verse 8. I am the Alpha and the Omega. If he possesses the beginning and the end, if he is the beginning and the end, he possesses the whole simultaneously and perfectly. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Who is, who was, who is to come, and is the same at any point we perceive. Revelation 4, verse 8. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. That language of was and is and is to come is to say his being is changeless and timeless. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 8. 
But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. We exist in intervals and succession. Peter's saying it's not like that for God. The way the scriptures have to speak to us so that we can understand is at times using the words before, before the foundations of the world, before the world was created. And that word before is doing a lot of linguistic work. <laughs> before the world was created, before the foundation of the world, it means outside of time, outside of successive existence that is cre itself created. God does not exist on a timeline in which at some point after many preceding points, God created the universe. If you think of God's divine eternity like this, then at some point you'll say, and then he created. But if you have and then in the life of God, you've already destroyed the doctrine unintentionally, but it's not the true way. Well, God was, I guess, alone and by himself for an infinity of time, and then you're, you're thinking like a human. You're thinking like a creature, which is what you're supposed to do. You're just supposed to be sure you don't limit God to that thinking. The question then becomes, well, does that make creation as eternal as God because the eternal God created? No. Creation is created. It has time. It has a, it was not, and then it was, which is its own complicated uh, Reality, creation is not eternal. God is eternal. We can easily, therefore, connect this doctrine to multiple other ones. And if you have a strong doctrine of eternity, it guards you from many other errors in the doctrine of God. We've mentioned this multiple times, saying, and, this, and divine eternity also this, and divine eternity also that. So now, as we come to divine eternity, we can look back and consider other attributes of God and realize why divine eternity is, a, is a, um, another soldier with arms linked to protect the whole. So we've already mentioned divine aseity. If God's being is in and of himself, then he possesses his own, his own life whole, wholly and simultaneously perfectly. That's eternity. Um, We've also said that if God is without succession, if there's no before and after in God, then he cannot become what he was not. Therefore, this connects to the doctrine of immutability. Mutation requires succession. Your being must be susceptible to pass through different states of being. Your being must be susceptible to motion in order for you to be susceptible to mutation. But if you cannot measure any motion in God or any succession in God, but rather he has a simultaneous, whole, perfect possession of his own life, he is immutable. He is all that he is in and of himself, and his being is not subject to succession. Therefore, it cannot be mutated. And this, we, we talked about impassibility as a subset of immutability. God without passions, where we said that passions are fundamentally motions. Passions are motions either towards the good that you perceive or away from the bad that you perceive. 
as you are moved to different states of being based on objects that you perceive around you. So God without passions also connects to God without succession because God is not encountering things and responding to them and figuring things out and being changed and so on and so forth. We talk about emotions. That's our our modern word for passions, which more or less is an equivalent, not a perfect equivalent, but it it has truth in it. Emotions, outward movements or inward movements. If God has no successive being, then there is no passion in God. There is no mutation in God whatsoever. More particularly, there is no passion in God. And we talked about within divine impassibility, the categories of action and passion. In action, there is one doing. In passion, there is one suffering the doing of another. If your being is not susceptible to to succession, then there can be no passion in you, and if there can be no passion in you, then there can be no action upon you. And if no one can act upon you, and you cannot be moved by one, there's no action, then there's no passion. You are impassable, immutable, and impassable. More recently, we talked about divine immortality, which in some ways was kind of the same discussion Immortality might even be just better said to be a subset of divine eternity, where we said, why is God truly immortal? We said nothing is immortal the way God is. God gives a created immortality to the soul. He gives a created immortality or a grace-given immortality to believers upon uh, their resurrection to to their resurrected body. But we said that God alone possesses his own life. Therefore, God alone is truly immortal. Man can be immortal by God's gift and grace with a created immortality. God alone possesses his own life, and therefore he alone is truly immortal, which is essentially the same doctrine as divine eternity, just with a particular view to God's life or God's being. If God is eternal, he cannot be mortal, he cannot be passable, he cannot be mutable, he cannot be created. He is asse. In the same way that the scriptures say that God alone has immortality, God alone has true eternity. Creatures can have an eternity or a sempiternity, an everlastingness that is given to them, but God alone has true eternity. He is the king of the ages. He cannot die because his being cannot cease to be. He cannot be extinguished. There's no succession in him. He is truly and gloriously uh, eternal. Now, this raises a variety of different questions uh, in the mind of trying to understand. And I said at the beginning, I'm going to talk about something I don't understand. This is as best as I can understand it. And I've been very helped by a number of resources uh, in my study and preparation, uh, which have given, which provide good language and ways to express this the best that we can. So if you're interested in learning more, the best I can do is point you to other resources on this subject. But one of the most important things is not to think of God's eternity as an everlastingness going both ways, but still successive. You must negate the succession 
of, of motion or successive being to be in God. For if God exists in a successive way, he can be what he was not. And really, the whole thing unravels, the entire doctrine of God. And um, it's important to remember that in the incarnation of our Lord, God, we talked about in a different lesson, in terminal assumption, God gives person, uh, the, the, the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, gives personhood or personality to a true human nature, and that true human nature, or it's not the nature that does things, but the person, God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, is temporal. He's a man. And so he, Jesus, lives like us, has a successive being and existent and can sympathize with our weaknesses, as the scriptures say. So don't let the incarnation trip you up in the sense of, but doesn't Jesus? Yes, according to his human nature, all of the things that are true about created humans there are true about him as well. The more difficult question is, how does God become man? Well, that's a, a whole other subject in itself uh, that exceeds the, the purview of this particular lesson. Or how does creation ex nihilo work? What is before the world began and so on and so forth? Uh, that's above my pay grade. That's, uh, I'm working on that to, un to understand better. Um, but it's it should once again move us to praise, where we say, we can, we can, we're not left in a mute silence when it comes to divine eternity. There's much we can say, and I'm thankful to know that my God's being is not susceptible to motion and succession, is not susceptible to before and after. I can trust in he who always will be what he always was because he never began to be it and never, will never cease to be it. It, it causes me to, to adore him and to worship him, while at the same time saying, these thoughts exceed my comprehension. But we've already confessed that, that God is incomprehensible. Not unknowable, but incomprehensible. Beyond the, the scope of our minds and ineffable beyond the scope of our mouths. So God's eternity, to sum up and conclude, is God without succession. It's his simultaneously whole perfect possession of his own life, which connects to multiple divine attributes such as aseity, his being is in and of himself, immutability, God without mutation because of God without motion and God without succession, same for divine impassibility, God without passion, divine immortality, God without, well, the possibility of, of dying or his being being extinguished. And we ought to praise and thank the king of the ages uh, for his majesty and greatness. And that concludes our lesson for this morning.